Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the headquarters of Amatix Technologies based in Belgium. This is episode three of the mini-series The Dark Side of Data Science. I am with Chiara Tonini and in this episode we speak about metadata and the death of privacy. Hi Chiara, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you very much. So metadata, we always hear the word metadata, usually in a sentence that goes like this. Your Honor, I swear we will not collecting users' data, just metadata. Usually the guy saying this is Zuckerberg, but could be anybody really from Amazon or Google. Just metadata, so no problem. This is one of the biggest lies about the reality of data collection. All right, so the first question is, what the hell is metadata? Metadata is data about data. Still not clear. Try again. Right. (laughs) So imagine you make a phone call to your mom. How often do you call your mom, Francesco? <laughs> Tough one. Uh, I would say every day, mm-hmm. of course. <clears throat> uh, good, good boy, good boy. So let's talk about today's phone call. Let's call data the stuff that you and your mom actually said. What did you talk about? Well, in fact, she was giving me the recipe for her famous lasagna. Delicious. So your mom's lasagna is the data. What is the metadata of the phone call? So this lasagna, in fact, comes with a lot of data attached to it. The date and time where the conversation happened, the duration of the call, the unique hardware identifiers of your phone and your mom's phone, the identifiers of the SIM cards, the location of the cell towers that pinged the call, the GPS coordinates of the phones themselves. Yeah, well, this lasagna comes with a lot of data. (laughs) Yeah, and this is assuming that this data is not linked to any other data, like your Facebook account or your web browsing history. More of that later. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, okay. Let's put a pin in that. Going back to the basic metadata that you describe, I think we understand the concept of data about data. I'm sure you made some research and uh, you would love to paint me a dystopian nightmare as always. So tell me, why is this a big deal? So metadata is a very big deal. In fact, metadata is far more useful than the actual data, whereby useful, I mean that it allows a third party to learn about you and your life. So what I'm saying is, the fact that you talk with your mom every day for 15 minutes is telling me more about you than the content of the actual conversations. In a way, the content does not matter, only the metadata matters. All right, well, can you explain this point a bit more, Chiara? Okay, so imagine this scenario. Imagine you work in an office in Brussels and you go by car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So every day, you use your time in the car while you go home to call your mom. So every day around 6 p.m., a cell tower along the path from your office to your home pings a call from your phone to your mom's phone. So someone who is looking at your metadata knows exactly where you are while you call your mom. So every day you will talk about something different and it doesn't really matter. Your location will come through loud and clear. And a lot of additional information 
can be also deduced from this. For example, you are moving along a motorway, therefore you have a car. The metadata of a call to mom now becomes information of where you are at 6 p.m. and the way you travel. I see. So, well, metadata about the phone call is in fact real data about me. Yes, about you. You are what is interesting, not your mom's lasagna. You say so because you haven't tried my mom's lasagna, but I totally get your point. True. So imagine now that one day, instead of going straight home, you decide to go somewhere else. For example, you are secretly looking for another job. Your metadata is recording the fact that after work, you visit the offices of a rival company. Or maybe you are a journalist and you visit an anonymous source. So your metadata records wherever you go, and one of these places is your secret meeting with your source. Now, anyone's metadata can be combined with yours. There will be someone who was just with you at the time and place of the secret meeting. Anyone that comes into contact with you can be tagged and monitored. So now, the anonymity of your secret source has been reduced. I get it. So, compared to the content of my conversation, its metadata contains more actionable information. And this is the most useful and the most precious kind of information about me. What I do, what I like, who I am, beyond the particular conversation. Precisely. So even if companies like Facebook or the phone companies, even if they had the explicit permission to collect all the user's data, including the content of the conversations, they will probably still throw it away because it's still the metadata that would generate the most actionable information. So in the vast majority of instances, the content itself doesn't, ma doesn't matter. Unless you are an actual spy talking about state secrets, nobody cares. All right, so let's stay on the spy point for a minute. One could say, so what if my metadata contains actionable information and there are entities that collect it? If I'm a honest person, I have nothing to hide. So, it's true that this is a common argument, but there are two aspects of the problem of privacy, government surveillance and corporate, or in other words, private surveillance. So government surveillance is a topic that has been covered flawlessly by Edward Snowden, both in his book, Permanent Record, and in the documentary about his activity, Citizen 4, which I both recommend. And in fact, I think that every data scientist should read and watch these things. So let's just briefly mention the obvious here. Just because something comes from a government, it doesn't mean it's legal or legitimate or even ethical or moral. What if your government is corrupt or authoritarian? What if you're a dissident and you're fighting for human rights? Or what if you're a journalist trying to uncover government corruption? Well, in other words, it is a false equivalence to say that protecting your privacy has anything to do with having something to hide. Exactly. Mass surveillance of private citizens without cause is a danger to individual freedom as well as civil liberties. So governments exist to serve the citizens, not the other way around. So again, just to quote, freely paraphrase Snowden by many other people, as individuals, we have no power compared to the government. The only way that the government system works is if the government is completely transparent to the citizens so that they can collectively change it. And at the same time, every single citizen is opaque to the government so that the government cannot abuse its power. But today, the opposite happens. We citizens are completely naked and exposed in front of a completely opaque government machine, which 
secret surveillance programs on us that we don't even know exist. We are not free to self-determine or to do anything about government power, really. Well, we could already talk for days and days about government mass surveillance, but let's go back to metadata and let's talk about the commercial use of it. Metadata for sale. You mentioned this term corporate surveillance. It sounds ominous. We live in privacy hell, Francesco. I get that. I mean, according to your research, where can we find metadata, in fact? So first of all, metadata is everywhere. We are swimming in it. So in each and every interaction between two people that make use of digital technology, metadata is generated automatically without the user's consent. When two people interact, somewhere two machines also interact, recording the context of the interaction. So who we are, where we are, when, why, what we want. And that doesn't seem avoidable. In fact, metadata must be generated by devices and software to just work properly. I look at it as an intrinsic component that cannot actually be removed from the communication system, whatever it is. The problem is, who owns it? So tell me, Chiara, who has such data? It does not matter, actually, because it's all for sale, which means we are for sale. Holy shit, this keeps getting darker. All right, let's have a practical example. Okay, so have you booked a flight recently? Mm-hmm. I'm going to Berlin and in fact, so are you. So have you ever heard of a company called Adara? Mm, no, cannot say that I have. So Adara self-describes as a predictive traveler intelligence company. <laughs> Sounds pretty pretentious, kind of douchey. Yes. So this came up, this story came up on the terrifying Twitter account of Wolfie Crystal, who's an author and researcher. Among other things, he authored a great report about corporate surveillance for Cracket Labs. And also go check him out on Twitter. He's great. Sure, I, I will add what I find to the show notes of this episode, as always. Oh, and by the way, you can find all this stuff on datascienceathome.com. But sorry, go ahead. Okay, so Adara collects data, metadata, about travel-related things like online searches and purchases, device that you use, um, passenger records, loyalty program records, and so on. So they get the data from clients that include major airlines, major airports, hotel chains, car rental chains, and so on. It creates a profile, they call it a traveler graph in real time for 750 million people around the world. A profile all based on personal identifiers. Mm-hmm. Then what? And then they sell their profiles. Okay. I have to say, the box that I tick giving consent to the third-party use of my personal data when I use an airline website does not quite convey how far my data actually goes. Yeah, consent, LOL. Adara calculates what they, what they define as a traveler value score, quote, based on customer behavior and needs across the global travel ecosystem over time, end quote. This score, this traveler value score, is in the Salesforce service cloud for sale to anyone. So this score and your profile determine the personalization of the travel offers that you receive and the treatment that you receive before you purchase something, during the booking process, after the purchase, and then at check-in, in the airport and at destination. So in their own website, Adar explains how 
the, for example, the customer service agents for all of their myriad of clients, for example, the front desk of a hotel, can instantly see the traveler value score when you interact with them. And therefore, they will treat you differently based on the, on the score. Oh, so if you have money to spend, they will treat you differently. Well, yeah, the score is used to assess your potential value to inform the service and customer service strategy for you, as well as personalized messages and relevant offers. And of course, the pricing you see when you look for flights. So if you have a low score, for example, prepare yourself to wait to have your call rerouted to a customer service agent. You will wait longer. So would you ever tick a box to give consent to this? Fuck no. How is this even legal? How about GDPR? It is, in fact, illegal. Adara is based in the US, but they collect data through the data warehouses in the Netherlands, for example. So they claim they are GDPR compliant, but for example, they collect all the data first and then they decide on the specific business use, which is explicitly not GDPR compliant. With GDPR and future regulations, there is a way to control how the data is used and with what purpose. Regulations are still blurred or completely undefined when it comes to metadata. For example, there is no regulation for the number of records in a database or the timestamp when such record was created. As a matter of fact, Data is useless without metadata. So Francesco, can you even collect data without metadata? In fact, you cannot do that. And uh, let me explain you why. Because I have a very interesting example where everyone should recognize him. WhatsApp, Telegram, Facebook Messenger. I bet you use one of them, or at least two, I would say. Of course. <laughs> so, well, all these applications, they all create metadata. So one might say, well, I've got my end-to-end -end encryption and my communication is secure. Right. Exactly. But how about the metadata attached to that encrypted gibberish that nobody is really interested in? To show you how unavoidable the concept of metadata is, even Signal, developed by the Signal Foundation, which is considered the truly end-to-end -end and open-source protocol for confidential information exchange, can see metadata. At Signal, they claim that they just don't keep it, as they also state in the Signal's privacy policy. And they say, certain information is transmitted to us solely for the purpose of placing calls or transmitting messages, blah, 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 blah. And basically they reassure you that they throw the metadata away. But in fact, there are no other ways for the end user to avoid the collection of this metadata. So this is one of those issues that shall be solved with legislation rather than technology. It's true, but it's extremely hard to enforce because like money laundering, your data is caught in a storm of transactions that's so intricate. At a certain point, how do you even keep track? How do you check, right? So for example, just uh, going back to Adara, all of the participating companies share customer data with each other, a process that they called value exchange. <laughs> So they let marketers utilize the data, for example, to target people after they have searched for flights or hotels. You know, when they try to sell you a flight after you bought a flight? Yeah. Also, Adara creates audience segments and sells them, for example, to Google for targeted advertising. And among other things, the consumer data broker LiveRamp lists Adara as a data provider. Consumer data broker. I'm starting to get what you mean when you say 
that we are for sale. Yeah, so let's talk about LiveRamp, which is part of Axiom. There they go, Axiom. I heard of them. Yeah, so LiveRamp self-describe as an identity resolution platform. I mean, George Orwell would be so proud. So their mission, quote, to connect offline data and online data back to a single identifier. In other words, clients can resolve all of their offline and online identifiers back to the individual customer, end quote. So they put together offline and online data about everybody. Various digital profiles, like the ones generated on social media or when you visit a website, all of this metadata that's generated, is matched to databases containing names, postal addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, geolocations and IP addresses, online and mobile identifiers, and like cookies, device IDs, etc. Well, all this stuff is possible if and only if someone gets in possession of all these profiles or, well, they purchase them. But still, what the fuck? Yeah, they can purchase them. Let me give you a cute example. Imagine you register on any random website, but you don't want to give them your home address. It's not compulsory. They, however, they will just buy it from LiveRamp. And how do they get it? They get it from your phone geolocation data, which is for sale. So where does your phone sit still for 12 hours every night? That's your home address, easy. And they definitely know how much time I spend at the gym without even checking my Instagram. Okay, this is another level of creepy. Yes, and it doesn't end. So clients of LiveRamp can upload their own consumer data to the platform and combine it with data from hundreds of third-party data providers and then utilize this on more than 500 marketing technology platforms. They can use this data to find and target people based on specific characteristics or to recognize and track consumers across devices and platform, to profile and categorize them, to personalize content for them, and also to measure how they behave, to spy on them, basically. So, for example, clients could recognize a website visitor and provide a customized offer, as they call it, based on all of this extensive profile data. They, they, the user doesn't even need to log into the website. They already know. And furthermore, LiveRamp has a data store where other companies can buy and sell valuable consumer data. It's like eBay from hell. <laughs> so what is even the point of giving me the choice to consent to anything online? In short, there's no point at all. Well, it seems that we are so behind with regulations on data sharing. GDPR is not cutting it. Uh, with programmatic advertising, we have created a monster that has really grown out of our control. So our lives are completely transparent to private corporations that constantly surveil us en masse and exploit all of our data to sell us shit. How does this affect How about we just don't buy it? Can it be that simple? And really, I don't want to take a no for an answer here. Well, the answer is, unfortunately, no. Oh, crap. So I'm going now to read you a passage from Permanent Record because Snowden says it best of all. Mm-hmm. Quote, who among us can predict the future? Who would dare to? The answer to the first question is no one, really. And the answer to the second is everyone, especially every government and business on the planet. 
This is what that data of ours is used. Algorithms analyze it for patterns of established behavior in order to extrapolate behaviors to come. A type of digital prophecy that's only slightly more accurate than analog methods like palm reading. Once you go digging into the actual technical mechanism by which predictability is calculated, you come to understand that the science of it is in fact anti-scientific and fatally misnamed. Predictability is actually manipulation. A website that tells you that because you liked book number one, then you might also like book number two, isn't offering an educated guess as much as a mechanism of subtle coercion. We cannot allow ourselves to be used in this way, to be used against the future. We cannot permit our data to be used to sell us the very things that must not be sold, such as journalism. We cannot let the godlike surveillance we're under be used to calculate our citizenship score or to predict our criminal activity, to tell us what kind of education we can have or what kind of job we can have, to discriminate against us based on our financial, legal and medical histories, not to mention our ethnicity or race, which are constructs that data often assumes or imposes. If we allow our data to be used to identify us, then it will be used to victimize us, even to modify us, to remake the very essence of our humanity in the image of the technology that seeks its control. Of course, all of the above has already happened. In other words, we are surveilled and our data collected and used to affect every aspect of our lives. What we read, what movies we watch, where we travel, what we buy, who we date, what we study, where we work. This is a self-fulfilling prophecy for all of humanity. And the prophet is a stupid, imperfect algorithm optimized just to make money. So I guess my message of today for all data scientists out there is this. Just don't. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com. This episode is supported by Amethyx Technologies. At Amethyx, we love hard data problems, creative solutions, and the ability to impact the good of humanity with artificial intelligence. If you are an experienced, curious data scientist who eats pandas, scikit-learn, and TensorFlow for breakfast, be ready for challenges. We have something for you. Go to amethyxcom jobs. That's A-M-E-T-H-I-X dot com slash jobs.